I'm Meg Judin. I'm the creator and showrunner of The Kingmaker Histories. Hi, I'm Henry Galley. I'm the executive producer for The Kingmaker Histories. And a writer. And a writer. Hi, I'm Gus Zagarella, and I'm a writer for The Kingmaker Histories. Hi, I'm Charlie Green, one of the writers on The Kingmaker Histories. I'm Addison Peacock. I'm a writer on the show, and I voice Ariadne Culver. This is David Alt, and I play the historian. I'm Josh Rubino, and I play Telus for. I'm Takai Nazir, and I voice the character of the absolute mental ice and ire. I'm Bradley Gareth and I play Klaus Holtzman. Hello, I'm Zane Schacht and I play Leonid. And today we are going to be answering your fan questions about the Kingmaker histories. Let's go through these questions. What's your favorite line you've written so far? Way back in episode one, Thea's head blowing up. I, I remember the moment when I was like, wouldn't it be so funny? And then I realized that I was writing it and I could make it happen. And I think that set the tone for the rest of the show. This is really silly. <laughs> But there's a joke in, um, actually, it's not just one line specifically. Um, there are a few different jokes in You'll Never Want to Leave that make me lose my mind. I'm really pleased with, uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry, Abraxas. I'm also very pleased with pretty much all of Clytemnestra's dialogue. There's, there's a whole bunch, but um, I was really pleased with the Jan Balak rabbit speech. People like that. Yeah, a lot of people comparing it to the pig speech from Snatch. And I love Snatch, so I take that as a huge compliment. Rain needs gravity to fall, otherwise it's just misplaced water. That's from when Muriel turns the tables on Father Giroux. I, I like that line, I think it's hype. I'm also a very big fan of all of Katarina's fake medium bullshit from <laughs> Knock Twice for No. <laughs> Any of that, really, it cracks me up. Favorite line I've written in season two, excluding ones from episodes that have not come out yet, has got to be just anything that Lisa Fashingbauer has said, because I love writing little kids. I think they're really funny and they just say shit. So my favorite line is actually one that appears in chapter 20, the um, the season two finale, which uh, I co-wrote with, with Meg. So without giving too much away about the character that this is about, the line is was sent abroad to attend a prestigious boarding school in Bonn, Germany and displayed exceptional aptitude, graduating early at the top of his class at the age of 16. This unfortunately did little to impress his father, who had graduated at 14. But how does that have any bearing on the plot of that episode? Uh, you'll have to tune in and find out. <laughs> I like uh, also in a hard rain when we got to talk a little bit about the contemporary religious movements within the Catholic Church at the time. I'm not particularly religious, but I think it is important for people to know about the history of religious organizations as social groups helmed by people. Uh, it affects more than anyone really thinks on the surface. What's been my favorite scene or line to record so far? I, the thing is, Eisen's such a mentalist. He's, he, he's basically me, which is Scottish and South Asian and just angry all the time. So I love all his lines and I love his scenes. Is there one that particularly stands out? I tell you what does stand out though. I remember trying to work out the sound for his tool, you know, his hammer. And I was like, how can I make this sound like Eisen, like make it, make an Eisen thing? And I remember just, I don't know, it just kind of came out of my mouth, this sort of sound of And I was like, I wonder if Meg's going to like it. I don't know. She might say it's shit, but let's do it. And Meg loved it, which was amazing. So I think, I don't have a favourite scene or line, I've got a favourite sound. And that is 
what Eisen calls his uh, his tool, his hammer. From the first season, I would say probably the entire episode where there's that horrible nightmare thing that they can't directly look at or it'll kill them. I cannot remember the name, but I loved the creature. Oh no, don't run away. That's sort of like creepy, you know, Victorian child ghost version of Talos IV was really fun. I know there was a scene where Leonid and Colette, uh, towards the end of season one, they were having dinner together, and it was such a great time because I really enjoy playing Leonid as just an utterly charmless human being. It really gave me a lot of room to play there. Self-centered, snively, awful, terrible. And I think my favorite scene so far is from the uh, season finale of season one, when I was getting to have my full, just like crowning supervillain moment, my before I kill you, Mr. Bond speech with Colette. That was so much fun. One of my favorite things about Kingmaker is that because I got the scripts so much earlier than other people, I was the one that got to set the pronunciations. So. Prior to me, there was no pronunciation guide, which meant that when I came back to doing various names, I realized that I couldn't remember how I pronounced them first. So there have been plenty of times, as the production crew will be able to attest, where I've said, did I pronounce it like this or like that? I'm really sorry, I'll do it both ways. I think that's actually been quite fun. I also loved uh, voicing Clytemnestra in You'll Never Wanna Leave, the episode I, I also wrote on. I love I love playing Talos for when he's doing Fae stuff, so also the episode where they are chilling with that house full of Fae is also really fun. I'm gonna say my favorite is the conversation at the beginning of uh, episode 20 where he's on the phone and then talking to Mandel and then calling I love that. I love that quick just... This, this dude is whatever he needs to be to whoever he needs to talk to. My favorite line from season two, <laughs> it's from Run Rabbit Run. I echo Miss Geiss's sentiment. You are a truly repulsive little creep. Telesphore is normally like the polite one. He very much can feel like the parent sometimes. So when he gets to call someone a repulsive little creep, that, oh, I loved that. How long have you had the idea for the Kingmaker histories itself? And were there any big changes to characters, settings, or plot over the course of developing the show before release? In a vague sense, I've had the idea for the Kingmaker histories since I was 12 years old, because it is a reconstruction from memory of the plot of my fantasy novel that I tried to write when I was a child. Sort of in the more recent history, uh, first time I wrote Kingmaker histories, it was an animated pilot. And I reworked it to be a audio drama. A lot of characters have, have changed in sort of very incremental ways. Like in the very, very first draft, Aizen wasn't really a character, which is crazy. It's, it's wild to think about how far it's come, actually. How connected is the world? We've seen the group travel across Europe off screen, but would it be possible for anyone with enough money to just travel away and settle in Sweden or Canada? <laughs> Very specific. Yeah, I mean, early 20th century, that's the era of zeppelins and steamships and telegrams. So people were starting to be really connected for the first time. As for if we're gonna see any of that connection happen, we do have some things that we're maybe gonna put in later seasons that have to do with the big cruise liners. Maybe a particular one that you may have heard of. What would your character's favorite food be? 
he would probably say something very fancy like lobster thermidor or like jugged hair al gratin with a light cream sauce you know like something really fancy but truthfully i imagine that he loves cucumber sandwiches with the crust cut off asks his mom to make them and he does not say please god i hate him so much uh i think the class doesn't probably enjoy eating it's something that he does that interrupts his work but if he had to pick something it would probably I, i've thought about this it would probably be sausage you can eat it in a dignified way with a fork and a knife it's you know much like an empire it's a ubiquitous thing that people made up that requires extremely grotesque sacrifice i, I think he would find it very funny and he would uh, monologue about it you know give, given the opportunity to really scare someone I think it's probably going to be something like Cadbury's Dairy Milk. He, I reckon he has in his desk a little bar of Cadbury's Dairy Milk. South Asian food, for me, and I think for a lot of people I know, is like the best food in the world. I mean, there's a lot of other good foods out there, of course, right? But I have to be biased. I think Aysen would have like some kind of special gima and roti. So gima is like kind of mince and, and peas, or you know, gima mutter is like mince and peas, and roti is like, you know, chapati. But he would probably have mantelope gima or something like that easy to me steak tartare steak tartare is her favorite uh i also feel like she would crush like raw oysters she's just she's a carnivore she's a carnivorous lady she loves a meaty situation not super into sweets loves red wine okay so this is like a little head cannon that i've had for the care site folk and not necessarily like something that I've discussed with Meg, but I feel like in the same vein as like classical fae where they'll like grant you a boon, but you have to give them your most cherished memory or like your laughter or something like that. I feel like Telesphore's favorite food is food made from recipes that have been passed down from like generation, like grandma's tuna noodle casserole. Like it could be repellent um, to the regular palate, but I feel like he would somehow just, you know, because of his caresite nature, would just pick up on the love that it's sort of inherited over the decades and just sort of find that part of it delicious. Failing that, I want to say it's that dessert that's like a pyramid of little spherical cakes with cream in them. Something French, and it's fancy, and it's big, and I feel like that is also very Telesphore. What was your favorite episode to work on? I think probably my first episode, The Wrong Door has got to give it for me. I, I was a big fan of Doctor Who growing up, so it was nice to kind of write this show as equivalent of uh, a scary Doctor Who episode. I don't want to give too much away because I don't think it'll be out by the time that this is out, but uh, I love the season two episode I worked on. Some really great Eisen and Telus 4 stuff in it that, that I'm really proud of and uh, I hope people will really enjoy. Whatever my whatever the most recent episode I've worked on is, is usually my favorite episode because um, I'm always learning new stuff. Mm, every episode I work on is my new favorite. I think my favorite episode to work on is the most recent episode that I wrote. Uh, with Meg, which you'll all have to wait and hear in season three. Uh, so as a writer, definitely like working on the season two finale, chapter 20, was an absolute treat. There's a lot of like really fun kind of action bits in that that uh, I think came out really well and are going to sound just fantastic when the episode comes out. In all seriousness, I do think that I did some really cool stuff with the audio in episode 15. However, an episode I actually cameoed in 
that was really enjoyable as a listener of the show. Chapter 15, Run Rabbit Run, I really, really enjoyed the sort of darker tone of that one. Having the show delve into some more kind of seedy parts of its world was really, really interesting. It's handled really tactfully and in a really impactful sort of way that just overall just made that episode such an enjoyable listen. Do you have any advice for someone who wants to create an audio drama because they have been inspired by listening to your show? This is a question I get a lot, especially from heads of Sierra Blanca listeners <laughs> um, who are like, how do I make a show just like that? <laughs> how um, do I make Kanjira? Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and my advice would be save up money from your day job and uh, also make friends with a bunch of people who can do all the stuff you can't do. Or rework it that it's all stuff that you can do. Like I've seen a lot of um, single narrator podcasts that are pretty lo-fi, get really popular. Basically, don't push yourself too hard. And my advice would also be don't expect to get it on the first go. Always keep persevering. You will get better with every new project that you do. What holiday special would you most like for Kingmaker to have? Candlemas, obviously. Like, what's your dream holiday special for this show? Festivus. <laughs> I want to see them have a Hogswatch episode because I love Discworld and I will wedge it into every facet of my personality if I possibly can and I feel like the Hogfather is definitely something that the uh, Valorian Socialist Republic would latch on to. But failing that, you know, just a standard regular Christmas holiday would also be good. Uh, I love Christmas specials. I'm going with St. Patrick's. I feel like it would be a challenge to make that work, especially given that Ireland itself didn't really celebrate St. Patrick's Day in the way they do now until like the latter part of the 20th century. It could maybe tie into the history of Irish resistance to British colonial rule, which feels pretty relevant to Kingmaker. Maybe it's just an episode with an extremely stereotypical leprechaun in it. The sky's the limit. I don't know if this would work or not, but it'd be so funny if we went back to like India or Pakistan in the world of Kingmaker and just saw Aysen's family or something. Like he's just got a mental twin somewhere or something. I kind of wanted to like work like Space Danny where just everybody dies at the end. They all get like, <laughs> Holtzman tries to like make a deal with a leprechaun who like turns him into a pair of shoes and everybody else gets trapped in a pod. So something where just everybody's dead and it just can't make any sense to the rest of the podcast. Uh, I would like to do one that is set around the carnival season. I like the idea of, of doing like a masquerade ball episode. That would be really fun. I also need everybody who's listening to this to know that in the Alsace region, which is the place where the Valorian Socialist Republic would be, their holiday that corresponds to Mardi Gras, which is French for Fat Tuesday, is called, I'm not making this up, Greasy Thursday. And I think that is the funniest thing ever. And I think we should have an episode about the true meaning of Greasy Thursday. <laughs> So this wouldn't be super likely given where the show is primarily set, but I would really like some kind of Halloween thing. Halloween episodes are my absolute favorite. Got close, the closest thing we've had, I think, to Halloween specials so far is the scary episode that Henry wrote, Wrong Door, or um, Knock Twice for No from season two, but I would like a proper Halloween episode. I wanna see what Halloween is like for the good neighbors in the Kersaita. A Halloween special with all sorts of uh, spooky, like other side monsters would be very fun. Okay, hear me out. A, a National Salami Day Kingmaker History Special. 
I'm not making this up. It's a real thing. It was started in Virginia by a group of people known as the Salami Appreciation Society. <laughs> I feel like it'd be really fun if the entire cast got together for just a big diplomatic, like, ball and dinner kind of deal. Like, a big formal Yuletide party where everyone has to play nice. Basically, a I want to see, like, a an anime beach episode but in formal gowns, and also they have to exchange gifts. Everyone gets each other the worst thing. What's one historical fact that you included that you don't think enough listeners picked up on or you would like to draw attention to? The, the sexy seance that Colette stumbles into the After Hours show, that was a real phenomenon. That was a real thing that a lot of spiritualists uh, got into during that period. There would be these like ghostly arms coming out from these curtains that would just kind of like grab and grope people and people would fall against them and be like, oh, it's all so cool. And it was like no one knew what the gender of the people behind the curtains was. It was all kind of gender fluid and and a, a little bit vaguely queer and, and sexy. And I think the after hours, like sexy seances are really, really fascinating. I really do love the fact that in 1911, somebody actually stole the Mona Lisa. Vincenzo Perugia is a real person and he did actually steal the Mona Lisa. And it was because he was an Italian nationalist who demanded that France return Italy's national treasure, the Mona Lisa. For me, I think it was the joy of um, bringing more light to the spate of Vuxenere attacks <laughs> that unfolded in 1911 that not a lot of people know about. What did Telesphor do all those weeks alone, in solitary, while in prison? You know, it could be him plotting his escape, he could be going over recipes to maintain his sanity. Stare at the ceiling and slip slowly into madness. You know, with me, can't cancel that again. <laughs> but let's be honest, the entire time he was in there, he was just constantly worrying about Eisen and Colette. They are his people. So yeah, no, he was definitely fretting. I, I feel like that is represented in his bedragglement, despite the amount of time that he was in that cell. It's another Kersite thing, like, he was unwound with worry, and so his beard sort of grew out to reflect that. What is your favorite dinosaur? And for actors, what is your character's favorite dinosaur? Uh, Triceratops. Dimetrodon. I think it's gotta be Kentrosaurus. I mean, I just like the name, but also it's like a smaller Stegosaurus, like a fun-sized Stegosaurus. Probably the uh, Gigantosaurus, otherwise known as the G-Rex. One of them ate Nigel Marvin once. I think for me it's gotta be the classic OG Velociraptors. Uh, my character's favorite dinosaur would probably be um, a chicken because uh, he obviously knows how evolution works. I think Klaus's favorite dinosaur would be the Allosaurus, which is like just as dangerous and vicious as a T-Rex, but it flies under the radar a little bit more. I think, I think that's how Klaus likes to operate. I am going to say his favorite dinosaur is the Plesiosaur, specifically Nessie, because clearly Telesphore has a thing for all things Scottish. I already knew this one right off the bat, immediately knew the answer to this. Ariadne's favorite dinosaur is the Velociraptor. There can be no other option. I think for Aizen, it's got to be a Triceratops. And the reason I say that, as you know, he speaks first and thinks afterwards. And I think the same with the Triceratops, because when a Triceratops kind of goes for you, it's like a massive rhino, it can't get out of the way, and it'll just knock you out. So, 
I thought about this a lot, and I think Leonid would make up the Leonidosaurus. He said it was a fossil that he discovered in his, like, various estates he totally owns. And it was so cool. The Leonidosaurus, it could shoot fire, and it was armored, and it was super fast, and it could fly. And it just was the best dinosaur ever. Don't ask questions about the existence of this. What is the process of writing an episode like? Some writers like Henry and like Max Kreisky, who has written a couple episodes for the show now, and Dana Shiwi, who wrote episode three, I give them the logline and they just go off and do it. I come up with all of the loglines for the episodes. And sometimes people help me come up with the ideas. Like Addison very much did come up with the idea for Not Twice For No. And then I ask around the writer's room, like, hey, do you like this idea? Do you like this idea? They'll take that. And then sort of between the two of us, we workshop the whole episode over a series of calls. So most of the time, even though I I don't take like co-writing credits, I'm usually in the room, like yes-anding people to uh, encourage them to write. Because sometimes writing in a solitary environment is really hard and you need to have a bit of a collaborative spirit. Anywhere specific you'd like to draw inspiration from for the show via historical documentaries, books, etc. I really like the book The Three Emperors by Miranda Carter. It is a book about Kaiser Wilhelm, Tsar Nicholas II, and King George V. Miranda Carter is a fantastic writer. The voice with which she writes that book is pretty much exactly the historian. Like if I lose the historian's voice, I pick up that book and I'll thumb through it and I'll read a few paragraphs to kind of, you know, get my mind in the right place. I would also say I watch a lot of BBC miniseries about the, the Edwardian era and World War One. I. I also really want to give a shout out to Kaz Rowe on YouTube. They have been a really good first source and jumping off point. In general, just things like archive.org. My family are all pretty big history heads, so I've got a lot of books. Would Babyface John enjoy Fortnite if he was real and also not a corpse by the time Fortnite is released? Um, I actually sent Donna a message because Donna Shiwi created Babyface John. I sent them a message asking what their view on this was. They have not responded and it's been several days. So uh, it's up to us to answer this one. I mean, as the person here who plays a lot of Fortnite, <laughs> um, I personally think you'd have a good time with it. If my character switched magic powers with one of the other characters, which switch do you think would be the most interesting slash funniest? Okay, first off, anybody with the Kingmaker Diamond power, the, the ability to just blow someone up, is inherently funny, but I feel like that's an easy answer. Also, I just feel like it's already perfect fit with Colette. It's got to be Colette. Uh, straight up. Because Aizen is just a nut job, he would just absolutely melt everybody. He'd, <laughs> he'd absolutely maul everybody, like in the pub, like out and about, doing his everyday stuff. He just gets angry, right? Ah, yeah, fucking bro. Oh. Blown up. 
he'd actually, he'd actually have to learn something about himself, learn about patience. I think it would be really interesting and terrifying for everyone involved, probably for Ariadne to spot powers with Telesport. I think it would be really funny to have him be like a master flesh crafter. If he had Ariadne's powers, that would be really funny. I think she would really get a kick out of appearing behind people. I think she would enjoy inflicting that kind of mental torture. I feel like there would be a joke in there like, are you going to, you know, change anything like with his because, you know, he's a big guy, and then Telesphore would just be like, oh, you can't improve upon perfection. <laughs> because let's be honest, Telesphore is absolutely perfect. What does good native food taste like? It probably tastes really good, but like you can only eat it once. Either that or it does actually taste bad. There's no way that it just tastes normal, right? Yeah, Braxis didn't seem to enjoy the snakeberry milk. What are you talking about? He loves it. What's your favorite obscure, insane history factoid from the time period the show takes place in? I'm gonna have to limit you to only one because okay. I know there's a lot. Well, I'm gonna tell you my favorite Kaiser Wilhelm story. One time, some of his officers put on a drag review for, I think, his birthday or something. And one of the officers got up on stage, danced his heart out, literally danced his heart out because he had a heart attack and fell over dead and he was wearing a pink dress. Uh, the coroner had to cut off of him because by the time they were getting ready to do the autopsy, like rigor mortis had long set in so they couldn't move the body at all. They had to cut him out of the pink dress. Uh, so literally this man showed up, served cunt, and then died. Is there a chance we get a cameo from a certain ghoul and ghost duo down the line? I'm no history buff, but like I, they are definitely not born uh, anywhere near when uh, Kingmaker Histories takes place. I wouldn't bet any money on it if you weren't prepared to lose. Yeah, um, logistically, I don't think we could do that, but we definitely might bring some of the Less Is More characters back for something. But Someday. probably not Riley and Evelyn specifically. That is just about all the questions that we've got time for right now. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much to everybody who sent in questions. My answers are really dumb, but thank you to Meg and the Kingmaker team for having me, and thank you so much to everyone who listens. Honestly, the show would not be where it is right now if it wasn't for all the love and support from the fans. So thank you very much, and lots and lots of love to you all all the way from Scotland. And believe us when we tell you, the best is yet to come. Thank you.